Well, good morning once again. Uh, this morning, if you're new, just so you know, we are in the beginning stages, the first few weeks of our summer-long series where we are studying the book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs is in our scriptures. We're almost right smack dab in the middle of our Bible. And it is a collection of the wisdom of God. Wisdom being, how do we skillfully navigate Life, right? And wisdom is not just knowledge, but it's applied knowledge. That's what wisdom is. And the Lord values or he cares deeply about how we live. And that's why he's given us his wisdom as the creator of all things, right? As the God who has set the earth into motion, as a God who is intimately involved with our day to day lives, he cares very deeply about how we make decisions, about how we speak, about how we think, about how we act. Like God cares about our lives and he gives us commands and directions and instruction in how to live, not because he loves to see us, you know, jump through hoops, but because he really knows what's best. Like that's, that's our trust in the Lord is that as God of all things, that he actually knows the best way to live. And so he gives us instruction because he wants our best to come about. Like he, his, our best interests are in his heart. And so as we read his wisdom, as we read his instruction, it's all designed to point us towards a life, to lead us down a path where our lives reflect his glory, but also bring our own Good. Now, that said, the book of Proverbs is a collection of not guaranteed promises, but instead of guiding principles. What I mean by that is that the things in Proverbs, it's, it's not always a one plus two is three. Like, there are elements of our world that are broken. So all of the Proverbs would be 100% accurate and true every single day if we lived in the ideal world, in an ideal state, but we don't, right? Things are broken by sin. But even in that brokenness, even in the mess, the Lord has given us this guidance so that even though things might not always turn out the way that we want or might not turn out the way that we expect, our faith can remain firm in the God who's called us to live a certain way and a God who has promised reward for us in eternity. Even if we don't feel like we experience that reward tomorrow or next week, we know that the day will come when we stand before the throne of the Lord and he will admonish or encourage or affirm the ways that we have lived according to his commands, right? So this is why God has given us the book of Proverbs. This is why we should care deeply about his wisdom because all of us, myself included, we, we make wrong decisions, right? We've, we've made mistakes, we have failures, we have faults, we have shortcomings in our lives. I've seen this in my life in every stage, every stage of life, uh, but I remember specifically when I was, Coming out of high school, right, I did, I did pretty well academically in high school, and so I got accepted into a and M. I I got, got accepted into the Mays Business School. That's right, four of us did that, and others of us just kind of admired from the distance at all those new buildings. But we, as I walked into the business school, as I enrolled as an accounting major, uh, I, I started out with kind of like pretty, pretty good self-confidence. Like I, I never really struggled too much when it comes to self-confidence, but in this academic sphere, I was like, I got this, right? Like I'm coming in on an academic scholarship. Like there were all these requirements for like my GPA and my course load. I was like, I got this. Like this is no big, I did high school. College can't be different, right? And so when I was going in was I was preparing to register for my very first semester, my freshman year, first semester, freshman year, I registered for 18 hours of coursework, right, 
which some of you are already like, no, I'm like that's no, that's not, that's not good. And that's, to be fair, what I was told uh, by some people. I remember specifically being at my summer job and I worked with some other guys that were already at A&M. A few of them were actually in the business school. And I remember telling them in the summer job before fall, I was like, man, I'm so excited to be a freshman. I'm gonna be at Mays just like you guys. And I told them, I was like, yeah, I'm really pumped. I signed up for 18 hours. I got like two sciences, so you know, I got two labs and I got you know, these other classes. And I remember one of the guys who's like a junior finance major, he looked at me and he literally was just like, Jacob, no. 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 Like that's all he could say. Like he was so shocked, that's all he could say. I was like, can you elaborate? No. Like I just couldn't, couldn't get past it. And I was like, it'll be fine, right? It'll be okay. Was it fine? No. Uh, it was not. Uh, did I end that first semester with 18 hours to my name? No, uh, I did not. I did not do that. Uh, could I have, should I have spent more time uh, that first semester maybe uh, committing to my schoolwork instead of committing to trying to woo my now wife? Debatable, right? Because to be fair, like the significance of my diploma and my marriage, uh, you know, it's, it's a little different now in my current life. But the truth was, is that I just, I, I didn't have what it took. Like, I didn't have the right frame of mind. I didn't have the right work, work ethic. And so that semester didn't go really well. And I look back, and I'm like, yeah, that wasn't a wise decision. You see, part of growing in wisdom, part of what we receive in terms of instruction in the book of Proverbs, is we're told what is wise, but we're also told what is not wise. Because that's an important part of growing maturity, is being able to recognize what's right, but also, at the same time, recognizing what is wrong. And so, in the book of Proverbs, God gives us a very clear description and a very clear direction of the wise person. And he spends a lot of time on that in this book. At the same time, the Lord provides a lot of descriptions and he provides the direction of the unwise person. And so there are certain characters, kind of these, these themes or tropes that show up in the book of Proverbs that are often held in contrast to the wise person. So the wise person does X, Y, Z, but the unwise person does the A, B, C. And these unwise people have a few different terms and they, they matter because uh, there's certain distinctives that we'll get into this morning. But this morning in particular, what we're looking at are the ways that God describes the naive, the fool, and the wise. Okay, three, these aren't all three that show up in the book of Proverbs, but these are three of the key ones, the naive person, the foolish person, and the wise person. And what we find as we see how God describes them is that they all have very different destinations. They all have very different directions in life. And the Lord is giving us this wisdom, this instruction, so that we can avoid what is wrong and we can pursue what is right in the eyes of our God. So we'll start in Proverbs chapter one. We're gonna be all over the book, so good luck keeping up, but we can start together in Proverbs chapter one. Uh, if you wanna go there in your Bible, go there on your phone. Proverbs chapter one, starting in verse 20. And what we see here is the beginning of kind of this, this book-long uh, illustration that the Lord uses. He, when he speaks about wisdom throughout the book of Proverbs, many times he, he creates this personification of wisdom itself. So even though wisdom is instruction and a concept, he embodies it in this illustration of a woman, of a woman who is screaming on street corners. I love it. It starts in verse 20. Read with me. Wisdom calls out in the street. She shouts loudly in the plazas. 
And at the head of the noisy streets, she calls. In the entrances of the gates in the city, she utters her words. She says, how long will you simpletons love naivety? How long have mockers delighted in mockery? How long will fools hate knowledge? Right out of the gate. What we see here is the Lord calling out those who choose to not follow his commands. And it doesn't go well for them. In fact, if we kept reading here in chapter one, wisdom continues to speak and she says, you know what, your whirlwind's gonna come and she says, I'm just gonna laugh. She says, I'm gonna laugh as you face all of your trial, as you face all your suffering. You're like, come on, wisdom, that's a little harsh. But this is the Lord's attempt to keep us on what is right, on what is best. This is a loving correction. And he's saying that if you are living this life that is naive, if you're living this life that's foolish, this life that's marked by mockery, it's not gonna go well for you. It's not gonna go well. And so these are you know, a few of the key people, we're not getting into mockery today, but the simpletons, those who are naive, the fools who hate knowledge, there's distinctives between them, but they both end up in a place we don't wanna be, okay? So continuing in the idea of the naive, we see in Proverbs 14, that a naive person will believe anything, but the shrewd person discerns his steps, right? So the kind of defining attribute of a naive person in the book of Proverbs is that you are just sort of carried along by the winds or tides of change. So you'll believe anything. You're just sort of complacent. You're just kind of there. You're just a buoy in the water, just sort of floating around. You're not a boat going a certain direction. You're just kind of along for the ride, and while it's okay to be like chill, like that's an okay attribute, like and contentment, we're gonna talk about that in a minute. But if you're complacent, if you're just sort of getting carried along, that's, it's not wise. Why? Because it gets you into trouble. We see that a shrewd person saw danger and hid himself, but the naive passed on by and paid for it. Right, so the ignorance or the complacency of the naive person eventually leads them into destruction. There's consequences because they're not mindful. They're not paying attention to danger and things that are wrong or things that aren't best. And because of that, the naive person finds himself in, in trouble, in bad situations. And so this destination for the naive person is, is not great, right? It's for the waywardness, in Proverbs 1, it says that the waywardness of the simpletons will kill them. The careless ease of fools will destroy them. Right, that waywardness, that just sort of drifting along, it, it eventually leads to death and destruction and, and despair, where we're always being shaped, right? The reason that even we have like the illustration of a, of a rock and a stream, it's, gonna, it's on all the slides, is because, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but it's because we're all being shaped by something, Right, like a rock in a, cre in a stream. We're always being shaped. The, the world is rushing past us and we can choose whether to be shaped and directed by the wisdom of the Lord or we can choose to be shaped and directed by the wisdom of this world. And what Proverbs says over and over and over again, really what all of scripture says is if we are carried along, if we are full, listening to just the waywardness of the world, it's not going to go well that instead the naive person's complacency and ignorance in fact lead to their own destruction. Again, it could be that they just don't care, they're just apathetic, it's that complacency, or it could be an ignorance that is not sought to be remedied. It's an ignorance, some people say ignorance is bliss, the Lord says ignorance is gonna end poorly, it's gonna kill you, right? That's, that's what ignorance, where ignorance actually takes you. 
Now that said, you know, we all are ignorant of some things, right? There's a lot of things that we don't know. There's things that we don't know that we don't know. Like there's so much that we don't comprehend. There's so much that we don't understand. And, and that's, true from us, that's true for us right from birth all the way until we die. Like the, we're, all, we're never gonna know everything. We're never gonna understand everything. But, but what that is, it's not inherently bad. It's not inherently wrong. But it is an opportunity to learn and to grow. Right, this is what we see with children. Like my wife and I have three little kids, eight, six, and four, and we have lots of opportunities to help shape and mold and direct them and teach them because when we think of a child, right, by nature, children are naive, children are innocent, they don't know a lot, and that's okay, but it's, it's, it reflects poorly on me or their teachers or their coaches or whoever if we're not helping guide and direct them. It's the primary role of a parent to guide and direct their child in wisdom. Because left to their own devices, they don't come up with the best ideas. Uh, I was just this last week, I was thinking about, man, I wonder, you know, I wanted to look up just things that kids want to be when they grow up. Like, what, you know, what's everyone aiming for? You know, because it's, it's people talk about, oh, these little youngsters want to be YouTubers and TikTokers and whatever, and Tic Tacs. And, you know, that's, that's kind of one of the sentiments. And so I looked it up. I was like, where, where are kind of people headed? What do kids really desire for their lives? And I found some really great re uh, responses, uh, one of which uh, was this girl named Nalina. And when she described herself, she says, I like to listen, and I like to make pictures, and I like writing, and I like free choice. So I'm like, freedom, way to go. Uh, I learned to count to 100. And when I grow up, I want to be a customer in a store. I'll buy broccoli and tomatoes and carrots. And when I get home, I will make soup. Uh, hey, shoot for the moon, right? If you miss, you land among the stars. That's, that's Alina's motto. All she wants in life is to be a customer in a store who eventually makes a probably pretty bland soup. Like, that's, that's her goal. It's because she's young. She doesn't know any better. Like, that's all she sees out ahead of her. Another kid, when asked, hey, what do you want to accomplish in, in your life? What are three things you want to do in your future? Get a girlfriend. Yeah, kiss her. Makes sense. Rule the world. I was like, if that's not a natural progression, I don't know what is, right? That's how it works. That's how you get there. Another kid, they ask, hey, what do you want to be? What do you want to do when you grow up? Kid doesn't quite understand matter or the world or physics, and he says, I just want to be a mailbox. <laughs> right, which again, good for him, but it won't happen. Like, it just won't. At some point, someone's going to have to pull him or her aside. Well, it's probably a boy. And someone's going to have to pull him aside and say, bud, you just can't. That's just not how it works. No mailman's gonna stick a letter into you. Like, that's not, that's not how it works. And for children, it's understandable, right? They're young, they're impressionable, they don't know a lot. But the truth is that it's still true for all of us in all of our lives, that we all have ignorances, we all have lackings and shortcomings. And so, again, it's not necessarily, ignorance is not a sin, but an unwillingness to learn and grow is wrong, and it is unwise. And so if the naive person is essentially marked by this. It's a person who doesn't either understand or comprehend enough or maybe doesn't care enough to change. This is the sign of a naive person. I don't comprehend enough or I don't care enough to actually change and grow and develop in my life, in my understanding of the world, of myself, of my God, of my friends. Like, th this is unwise. And it's something that we can all fall into. This is a trap that's laying open for every single one of us. There's no point in our life at 13, 23, 33, 53. Like, there's no point in our life 
where we just graduate out of being naive. It can always come for us, it's always knocking at the door. And so there's questions I think we need to ask ourselves. As I read through the Proverbs, as I've been reading over it through the last few weeks, you know, just in my mind, I, I started to think of these questions, maybe some key questions we can ask ourselves to guard against some of these pitfalls. And so if I'm thinking about, am I, am I the naive person, right, which I need to ask myself that, am I being naive in this or that, in this relationship, and that responsibility? There's questions we need to ask, like do I regularly find myself in the wrong place at the wrong time? Am I consistently a victim of circumstance? Which, hey, sometimes it's true. Sometimes situations happen, circumstances occur that are outside of our control. But if that's happening all the time, that's a consistent pattern in our life, it could be that we are missing something, that we are walking past a danger that a shrewd person, a discerning person, that a wise person would catch. So do we need to grow in that, in our awareness? Do I have any goals or plans beyond tomorrow? Am I just sort of getting carried along? Do I know like where I'm headed? Again, holding it with open hands, knowing that you know, the scripture tells us very clearly that we don't know what tomorrow brings. I can't know with certainty the state of my life in a day or a year or a decade. But am I at least aiming for something Am I aiming to, to grow in this area or that area? Am I, am I seeking to follow after the Lord, to obey his commands, to, to nurture my wife, to raise my children, to excel in my work? Am I re- excelling in the revealed things that God has given to me? Do I have goals and plans, or am I just sort of floating? Or am I complacent, kind of the same, same idea, am I complacent in my responsibilities or my relationships? Right? Contentment as I said a moment ago, contentment is good. We're called to be content. Paul says, I learned to be content and rich, whether I was rich or poor or healthy or sick or, or happy or sad. Like I've learned to be content in all of these circumstances because my hope is in Christ. My hope is in the salvation I've been given through Jesus Christ. And so I can be content. I don't need to be envious. I don't need to be jealous. I don't need to be dissatisfied with the life that I'm living if this is truly the Lord's will. But Contentment is drastically different from complacency. Contentment is saying, I trust the Lord with where I am and where I'm headed. I trust him. My faith is not in the quality of my circumstance. My faith is in the the character of my God, not the quality of my circumstance. But complacency says, well, and I'm I'm just not even gonna do anything about it. I'm just gonna kind of float around. And, you know, we'll see what happens. That's not wise. It's not wise. That's why Paul tells the church in Philippi, he says, you should be working out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it's God who works within you, right? That you're, you're, you're empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a life that's glorifying to the Lord, that, that, that loves your God and loves your neighbor. But, but there's work, right? Work is good. God has given us work. Work was around before the fall, before sin. Sin made work hard, but God made work in perfection. So if we are just apathetic, if we are just abdicating that responsibility in our relationships or in our work, in our classes. And what that is, is it's, it's an unwillingness to invest the resources that God has given to us. And that's foolish, or it's naive. It's naive, it's not wise. So instead, to guard against us, what we do is we commit ourselves to growth. We commit ourselves to grow. In some seasons of my life, I, I've stumbled on this practice that I've used from time to time where for you know, a certain time period, I say, I'm gonna learn something new every day. 
That's been a goal I've set. It's something that really has been awesome for me personally. I wanna learn something new every single day. And that could be something that I read. It could be something that I'm listening to in a podcast or listening to a book on, on Audible or whatever. Like this could be uh, something I learned through a conversation. It could be something I learned through a training. It could be something I learned from the word of God. But committing ourselves to learn and to grow is good and it's wise. And not even just committing ourselves to our own personal growth, but even more so, you know, you never learn more than when you teach. And so it's committing ourselves to our personal growth, but I think it's also committing ourselves to the growth of others. And one of the things that I love about our ministry here at Southwood is that we have a phenomenal children's ministry. Whether it's preschool, elementary, 56, youth, like we have such incredible leaders and people, individuals who are sacrificing their time and their energy to train up and to raise and instruct the children in our church. It's a really beautiful thing. It's not just childcare. It's instruction and it's training in righteousness. And so in the summer in particular, this is a great time. If you would be willing to serve in our children's ministry, like we have a great need. We have a great need for people who are willing to step in and maybe it's even just for the summer. Maybe it's just for the summer. But we would so appreciate if you would be willing to consider it. What would it look like? Could I, in fact, serve a few times this summer in our children's ministry to help foster and cultivate their growth. And if that's something that you'd be willing to do, we have a card in the back of every seat that's got a couple codes on it that you can scan, QR codes. One of them is serving here at Southwood. And I would encourage you, you can scan that code. You'll fill out a quick little form where you just check a box that says, I'd love to learn more about serving in children's ministry. And we'll get to you. We'll, we'll get back to you this week because this is something that we need. Like we need to commit ourselves to the raising of the next generation, especially in the summer when we have so many students that normally serve that are gone. And so when we look at our lives, when we consider how am I growing, how am I learning, how am I developing, right? This is a wise course of action, not just so that we protect ourselves from being naive, but it also is a part of guarding ourselves against becoming the fool. And this is another character that the Proverbs speaks to a lot. In Proverbs 18, it says it this way. It says that a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in disclosing what's on his mind. I love it. Short and sweet, right? That's the beauty of Proverbs. All the Proverbs, I mean, the, the way it was written is it's meant to be instantly understandable and then immediately applicable, right? All of Proverbs, that's what it is. Instantly understandable, immediately applicable. This one, I mean, to a T. A fool don't want to understand, don't want to learn. I have no interest in understanding, I just want to be understood. I want to disclose what's on my mind. I want to tell you what I think about this or that. I want to tell you, and we've all got areas where we're more susceptible to fall into this. Right? There's certain topics or ideas, uh, you know, sports or money or family or whatever that we think, you know what, I actually know, I know what's best and, and you know, all these things. And so I just need to make sure that everyone hears from me. And what Proverbs says, what the Lord is saying is that that's, that's not wise. If you're never taking pleasure in actually understanding, but only in being understood, it's a foolish course of action. And it's true, not just in the way that the fool speaks, but right, but Proverbs spends a lot of time talking about how the fool listens or, or more accurately fails to listen. We're told in Proverbs 17 that a rebuke makes a, great impression, a greater impression on a discerning person than a hundred blows on a fool. I love that imagery. 
that one simple, if, if someone is wise and discerning, you give them a piece of correction, give them some input, they're like, ah, oh, I got it, right? They take it, they use it, they apply it, that's, that's awesome. But the fool, you could give them 100 blows. Boom, 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 boom. And they still don't get it. No impact. Nothing changes in their attitude or their actions or their mind, whatever it is. And some of us, again, we fall into this trap and it could be subject dependent. We could think, well, you know, I don't really need to learn about this or that because I've got this figured out, I got that figured out. And so all the correction in the world, all the like, hello, like all those blows, we get smacked on the head over and over and over again. It's not necessarily gonna sink in if we're living this foolish life, if we're not humbling ourselves and accepting the wisdom that God is screaming all around us from his word or from instructors or from friends. We need to be able to listen. We need to take that, that impression needs to be made quickly if we are discerning and wise. But it's not even just in the way that they listen. It's also, I love this, that a fool lets fly with all his temper, but a wise person keeps it back. You see, it's not even just a problem of the fool being uh, belligerent. It's also a matter of the fool being undisciplined. And so, so often we see in the Proverbs, we're not reading them all, but there's a lot of these that talk about the fool, how the fool brings destruction, dismay to their parents and to their friends and to their loved ones, to their families. The fool causes destruction all around them. And it's not always because they're ignorant, but it's often because they're just belligerent and they are undisciplined, that they let fly with their temper. That they're just like, well, I just, you know, I just like get mad sometimes. That's just like who I am. It makes me tough, you know, and that's, that's, that's foolish. An unwillingness to learn, an unwillingness to change, an unwillingness to hold back, to exercise self-discipline and self-control, it's foolish. And it doesn't end well. <laughs> a wise person knows how to speak. A wise person knows how to listen. But a fool over and over again makes these mistakes, as illustrated in Proverbs 26, my favorite one that we're reading today, that like a dog that returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Just like, bam. It's just a good image, right? If you've ever had a dog, maybe you've seen this. When your dog goes out, I saw it a week ago. Our dog, she goes outside. She, something comes out. And what does she do? She walks around a little bit, comes back, and just starts putting it back in. And when we see that, hopefully the first thought is, I don't wanna do that, right? That should be, or maybe that's a weird thought to have, <laughs> but we should recognize, we recognize the foolishness of that course of action. And scripture, Proverbs is telling us that a fool who makes the same mistake over and over and over and over again is no better than that dog with terrible taste. We're no better. The fool is eventually just making the same mistake and is bringing about his own or her own self-destruction. See, that's what's different between the naive and the fool, is that where the naive person is complacent and ignorance and eventually they bumble into destruction, the foolish person is marked by pride and arrogance and then abrasiveness and belligerence and those qualities combined lead that fool into self-inflicted destruction. That's what we're told in Proverbs. That's the direction that the fool is headed. And it's not a direction we wanna go. Right? It's not a direction we wanna, we wanna move. That, that, that foolishness, that failure to learn and change, is, 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 it turns out really poorly. 
But yet there's something in us that this is always a temptation. For myself, this is always a temptation. I always want to think that I'm self-sufficient, that I'm self-made, that I can do these things on my own, and that's arrogance. That's arrogance. But man, it, it plays out in so many different ways. One of the ways I see it play out with my kids is that, or all kids, is that when they need something, many times they just kind of announce the need. They just kind of shout what, is the, what the problem might be. So for my kids, they're like, I'm thirsty. My four-year-old said this last night. I'm thirsty. Okay. So what do we do about that, right? Like, I'm asking you, how do I, you know, I'm just, like, so how, so what, what's the solution? When he shouts out, I'm hungry, or I can't open this. What happens is my wife and I have to move towards him. We say, hey, do you want to ask, did you want to ask for something? Do you want to ask for help? Like, can I, did you want me to help you with that? Did you want me to like get you your milk cup? Like, is that what you're asking for? And it's a turn, it's a very important turn that I'm not just yelling about my need, but I'm actually seeking the solution. I'm asking for help to arrive at the answer to this problem. And yet, even though I see it in my kids, I see it in myself. We do this. As adults, we still do this. We're either in our words or in our actions, we'll just walk up into our workplace, we walk into our home with our friends, and we just say, I'm stressed. Okay, you know, how do, oh, all right. I'm busy, I'm, I'm sad, right? Like, oh, well, it took a turn, but that's, <laughs> that's what we do many times is we will just sort of walk, and again, it could be verbal, it could just be in our actions, that we're like, this is a problem, and we don't take the step, we don't make the turn to ask, hey, could you help me, like, sort through this? Or do I need to like read something or learn? Do I need to have a conversation with my supervisor about the workload? Or about, like, could I maybe seek some input? Could I ask, could I humble myself enough to ask others for help? This was a hard lesson for me to learn. It took me a long, way longer than it should have in work, in ministry in particular, where I just, I just thought like, I'm, I'm fine. Like, I can do this. I can do all these things. Until eventually the Lord in his grace, in his harsh mercy, had it just kind of knocked me over the head a bunch of times in like one semester until eventually I was like, I can't do everything. I need help. And suddenly making that turn, having those conversations was such a relief. And it's because I was living in foolish pride when I needed to be living in humble wisdom. God wants our best he says, you can't do this on your own. So much of Proverbs is about the power of community, about how wisdom is gained in a multitude of counselors, how three cords wrapped, or three sticks bunched together is not easily broken. We need other people to speak into our life, but so often we're held back from that because we're too proud, too proud. And so to catch ourselves in this, we have to ask, again, key questions. Like, am I, am I, do I actually receive advice and input? Do I welcome that? Do I invite input? Or am I assuming that I'm right all the time? Sometimes we're right. That happens. A lot of times, we're not. Are we open to that? Are we inviting input? Am I continually covering the tracks of myself or my friends? Meaning, am I surrounded with people who are making foolish decisions? And are we all just sort of barreling towards destruction together? 
Am I always kind of running with, a, with an eye over my shoulder? He said, probably indicates that I'm not living a wise life, that I'm just sort of barreling on in my own arrogance or belligerence. Or do I frequently find myself in fights and frustrations in my work, with my friends, in my family? Again, this is described so often in the book of Proverbs. And yeah, there's times where we find ourselves in a contentious situation that's outside of our control. It just, it happens. But if it's consistent and it's regular, we need to pause. We need to ask ourselves, okay, it takes two to tango. Where am I in this process? Where am I in this equation that is so frustrating for myself or for others? What's going on? We have a really cool, a wonderful ministry, a wonderful marriage ministry here at Grace. And one of the things that we offer is a thing called re-engage. And it's for couples who've been married a few years or more to go in and just kind of take stock of their relationship, take stock of their marriage, look for ways to grow. And it's not because your marriage is necessarily like off the rails, but it's just a place where we all can recognize, hey, my marriage has room to grow and improve. And so my wife and I did this a few years ago to kind of go through it and see how it, go, see how it worked. And one of the first things they teach you, one of the first principles they lay out is you sit in your little small group, you've got you know, all these couples around you, and they hand you a hula hoop. And they tell you, okay, put the hula hoop on the ground. So you put it on the ground. They say, okay, now step into your hula hoop. So I stepped into my hula hoop. And they said, okay. They said, your goal, your role in re-engage this semester is to work on everyone inside the hula hoop. And then you look down and you say, gosh, darn it, I'm the one in the hula hoop, right? That's, and it's this admission, it's this acknowledgement that I have room to grow, that I'm not here to fix my wife. I'm not here to fix this person. You don't show up to work with the goal of fixing that person or I'm gonna go home and fix my kids. Like there, yes, is opportunity for us to sharpen one another and to guide and direct for sure, but there is always, always, always room for us to grow and to change and to learn and develop, to walk more fully according to the commands and the will of our God. And so the fool rejects that the wise accepts it. The wise person commits themselves ultimately to correction, to receiving input, to accepting it. I jump on a call every Friday morning with three of my best friends, these three brothers that I have, and then I grew up with two sisters. And when we get on that call on Friday mornings, we ask each other pointed questions. We, we came up beforehand about a year ago. I said, hey, these are the questions I want you to ask me. Everyone gave their questions, and they're deep probing questions. And we turn all the lights on we say, this is where I'm at, and this or this or this. And we do that. We ask these questions because it opens the door for input and correction and accountability. And we all need this. We all need this on some level, whether it's with a close friend, it could be a family member, it could be with our spouse. But all of us need these regular safeguards and this, because what it is, it's a, it's a way that we commit ourselves, as the wise person does, to receiving and accepting correction. Right, so when we talk about the wise, really it's just the opposite of the last two, character, the two characters that we just looked at. So the wise person is one uh, who discerns wisdom and understands discernment, right? This is what Proverbs 8 says, that you who are naive, you discern wisdom, and you fools, you should understand discernment. And I love this because what this is, it's a, it's a point that's being made that no one is too far, that all of us have opportunity to turn the ship around now, right? Again, that's why Proverbs is written, instantly understandable, immediately applicable. 
And so we can read this, even if we catch ourselves, even if we've been thinking like, wow, I'm kind of not doing the right thing in this area, that area. Now's the day, this is the time. We have get, been given the wisdom of God and we can implement it immediately. So the naive can become wise, the fool can become wise. The discerning person acquires knowledge, the wise person seeks knowledge. Right? This is the other promise of the Lord, that if you are wise, you seek to understand and the Lord generously, graciously provides. That's what we read in James when we went over it this spring, that if anyone's deficient in wisdom, he should ask God who gives graciously, abundantly, without judgment. God's ready to provide. It's that woman screaming at you from the street corner. God says, I wanna give you wisdom, so seek it and you will acquire it, you will obtain it. Do not reprove a mocker, he'll hate you, but if you reprove, reprove a wise person, he will love you. The wise person is marked by humility, a willingness to learn and to change. So that's the description. What's the direction for the wise man? It's not destruction. It's not self-destruction. But instead, a wise man went up against the city of the mighty and he brought down the stronghold in which they trust. The wise person is promised victory in the Lord. The wise person's humility and their study of the Lord, of his world, his wisdom, it leads us ultimately to victory. Again, it's not a victory that we maybe had thought of beforehand. It's not always the victory that in the timing that we wanted or in the way that we wanted. But God says, if you trust in me, if you follow my commands, you will in fact live life to its fullest. That's what I'm offering to you because I know how the world works. So it's not that the wise person is perfect, but it's that the wise person sees their personal failure and they seek personal formation. It's a willingness to change. It's a willingness to grow. And this really only comes, this, this can only be a fruitful process if we are committed as followers of Jesus Christ to be disciples. In other words, to walk in the steps that he laid out for us, to follow the example that he's provided, to be disciples of Christ and to bring others alongside Right? That's the beauty of God's work is that he invites us into it, even as broken, imperfect people. He says, I want you to be a part of my perfect mission here in the world to make more disciples. So go, therefore, to all nations, to all people, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Bring people into the family of God, disciple them, learn and grow together because that's where wisdom is found. This is the wisdom that Paul talked about when he wrote his final letter to Timothy, his disciples, man that he, great, that he helped raise and that he loved. He says, Timothy, there's gonna be people around you who are making poor decisions that follow the ways of the world. He says, but you, however, must continue in the things you've learned and are confident about. For you know who taught you and how from infancy you've known the holy writings which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. This is what we have to start with, right? This is what we cannot miss, is that even though God has given us wisdom and how to skillfully live, that God has not given us his scripture as a self-help guidebook, but God has given us this scripture and this word, not even just on this page, but fully, fully in the person of Jesus Christ. And so if we wanna understand the Lord, if we wanna walk in wisdom, it begins with looking to Jesus Christ, the one who has secured for us salvation, the one who has called us to faith in himself, to trust that his way really is best, that he is the way and the truth and the life. That's where wisdom begins. When we recognize that we were all foolish, mocking, naive sinners, and in that death, 
in the midst of that transgression, Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven and onto earth to live the perfect life that none of us could live, to die the death that we all deserve because of our sin, because of our failure. And when he rose on the third day, he proved that he has power and authority over the foolishness that held us captive. And it's when we believe in his work, when we call on his name, and trust that when he said on the cross that it's finished, that it really was finished, that we're not coming to the Lord because of our merit, our ability, our accomplishment, or because of our wisdom, when I say, God, I'm dependent on you, and I trust that Jesus has done what I could never do, that's the beginning of wisdom. That's the beginning of a life that is well lived to the glory of God, to the good of those around us. That's where we have to start. And so this morning, as we prepare to sing a final song, what we're doing is we are taking communion. And we're doing this because observing the Lord's Supper, taking communion, this is a practice that brings us back to this central truth, that the fullness of God is revealed in Christ, that the wisdom of God was shown to us, not just on a page, but in the person of Jesus Christ. And communion reminds us of that fundamental truth. So as you walked in this morning, if you've got one of these, awesome. If you didn't and you need one, you can raise your hand. We've got Brad in the back that's going to be looking around. He'll spot you. He'll bring you some cups. But as I said, this is an opportunity for us as believers, as people who have been saved by the mercy of God through our faith in Jesus Christ. It's an opportunity for us to just pause and reflect on what the Lord has done on our behalf. And so Paul describes the Lord's Supper, he describes taking communion in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where he essentially instructs the church in the how and the why that we observe the Lord's Supper and in how and why we continually remind ourselves of the work, the accomplishment, and the eventual return of Jesus Christ. So I'm gonna read to us from 1 Corinthians 11. Verse 23, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. So do this in remembrance of me. So if you would, take the bread. Paul goes on, verse 25, and says that in the same way, Jesus also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. So do this every time you drink it in remembrance of me. So if you would, take the cup. Paul concludes his instruction with a simple but so significant reminder. In verse 26, he says, every time you eat this bread, every time you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Southwood, we are celebrating not just the life, death, and resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ. We are but we are also anticipating his glorious return. 
We await that day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. We await the day that we're about to sing about when the trumpets blast and the mountains shake and Christ comes for his people to bring us into perfect eternity with our heavenly father. That's what we're looking for. That's where our hope remains. But as we wait for that day, we live a life for his glory alone. So we seek to follow his instruction. We learn from the mistakes that we make. We trust in the forgiveness of our God who is faithful and just to forgive. We confess our sin, we confess our failure, and we pray that the Lord, his spirit would empower us to live more fully in his will, according to his wisdom. So as we prepare to sing, let's pray and ask the Lord for that guidance right now. God, we thank you that you have shown us, God, just the, the wisdom of a life lived according to your will, that God, that it is truly what is best. God, we thank you that you care about how we conduct ourselves, how we think, how we speak, how we live. And so Lord, we just pray that as we walk into this summer season and the responsibilities and the relationships that you've entrusted to our care, God, we pray that we would step into these moments acknowledging the significance the opportunities you've given us to reflect your glory, to love you with all that we have, to love our neighbor as ourself. So if you would, take this moment now before we sing and just confess to the Lord, God, this is where I am not seeking your wisdom. Maybe I'm being naive. God, maybe I'm being foolish. But confess to him, say, God, or, or, or help him see where you need to, what you need to be confessing of. Say, God, I, I need you to show me where is it that I am just forging my own path. I'm seeking to live by my own strength. Confess that to him, but then ask the Lord through the power of his spirit to bring you into wisdom, to guide and direct you. Maybe it's through a friend, a family member. It could be through his word, an instructor, a coach. But ask the Lord, say, God, this is where I am not seeking to live out your will, but God, I know that you can empower me to do so. So God, bring your wisdom to this relationship, to this responsibility. Ask him for that right now.